Home in Element. Uh, if you are new, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. they got a cool little Element logo on them. Uh, it's not like a sticker. I actually had it made, so it's like all... Okay, whatever. Uh, if you... <laughs> there are some notes and all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you uh, can download an app. It's called Uversion. Click on Live. It brings up a GPS in your smartphone. You get the sermon notes and the verses and questions that go along with all this morning's stuff. So a couple things as we begin. Number one, baptisms are next week. Thank you. I'll throw something at you people. That means it's not just all oh, great. Someone's going to get baptized. That means you get to go to a party. All right? I mean, all of you get to go to a party. Next week in the communion tables, there will be directions, and you'll see how to get to the house. It's my house. Well, the house we're doing them at, but anyway, don't make a mess. And my dog, stop leaving your food on the ground, okay? Because every time you guys leave, my dog's all bloated and gassy. Stop doing it. Seriously. And everyone's all, oh, it's so funny. Come here, Haiti. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyway, stop it. This year, uh, we, we have a, a, a different team in charge of the food this year, so that, or in, at this one, so they're doing something a little bit different, and we're going to see how it works. If it doesn't work, just get over it and come anyway. We're going to do, do a nacho bar, okay? It's nacho bar, it's my bar. No, it's, we're going to do the nacho bar. I know, old bad joke, but whatever. So, uh, we're providing chips and all, and all this stuff and drinks and all those things, and you guys just have certain things to bring. So, if your last name is, is between A and L, Okay, think of, I know it's hard, but think of what your last name starts with. Okay, A and L, you're going to bring some type of meat to go on top of the nachos. I, I think one of the easiest things you can do is either uh, go down to like, Costco and buy a chicken. They're like this big. They raise them next to a nuclear power plant or something, but they're gigantic, and they're like $4.99. Just pull all the meat off it, bring them, bam, you got meat to go on top. How easy was that? Uh, you could also go down, you know, some of the markets around here that sell carne asada, which is also excellent to put on top of nachos. If you're a vegetarian, your last name is A to L, suck it up. <laughs> and just, just bring some meat. Don't bring tofu. Panda Express got me once with that. I go, I'll take that. Look like meat. It was not meat. It, okay, so A to L, meat, if your last name is M to R, you're going to bring some cheese and some salsa. M to R, think, what's my last name? It's hard. M to R, cheese and salsa. If your last name is S to Z, if your last name starts with a Z, it should not be hard to remember. All right, but S to Z, you're going to bring some beans and some salsa. Beans and salsa. I won't eat the beans. I like beans. If you forget the beans, bring some cookies. We'll be good with that. So, so you got everybody got that? We good? What are you going to do next week at 1 o'clock? You're going to bring meat. Or beans. Okay, okay. so think about it. And on, on the count of three, think of what your last name is and what you're going to bring. One, two, three, say it. There you go. Just making sure. You can bring all the extra cookies you want. Trust me. I was so mad last year, you guys ate them all. I had, usually I have leftovers, none left over. Very, very, very sad thing. Uh, this Saturday coming up uh, is the Mo- Mom's Day event. Uh, Element Moms does this thing where uh, once a week throughout this month they're doing some mommy play dates. And at 10 a.m. at Waller Park this Saturday they're having a play date. 
that. And the last thing I want to tell you about is uh, Element is partnering uh, with another group in town. Uh, one of the ladies that go to Element is on this, uh, I don't even know how to explain it. They, they get together for one of their classes and they decided about this project that they were going to do to help out and reach the community. One of our GCs is now involved and it's called Go Bag Santa Maria. And what typically happens is if a child is abused and, and uh, some foster workers have to step into the situation, they show up, they have to take the kid out of an abusive situation, and they have a roll of trash bags in their trunk, and the kids throw their, their clothes and stuff in this trash bag, and they go from house to house in foster care, and their only luggage is this trash bag. And so they had this great idea that we need to get these kids some bags because a kid's you know, luggage should not be a trash bag. And so that's a great idea. We're going to get some bags that they can put their stuff in. We're going to give them to the, uh, to the foster workers and stuff so they can have these in their trunk when they have to pull kids out of homes. But on top of just the bags, what you want to do is you want to fill the bags with some stuff. And so if, if there's like a, like a baby, like infant and toddlers, you want like a baby blanket, like a onesie, footy pajamas, a packet of wipes, stuff like that. If they're school age, you want like a coloring book and pencils and crayons and socks. If they're a teenager, maybe like a comp book or a journal, also some pencils, toothbrush, toothpaste, things like that. And so... If you're out and you're at Target or Walmart or Kmart or something this week and you're like, oh, i got to buy myself some toothpaste. Well, you know what? Buy an extra thing of toothpaste and bring it and drop it off. There'll be a big drop off out front. And we're going to make all these little bags to go inside the go bags as well. So the kids, once they're pulled out, they can actually have a toothbrush and toothpaste, maybe some pajamas and stuff like that. And if you would like a list of what you can pick up and bring, it looks like this, and they'll be in the back at the Welcome Center, just grab one. And if you're out shopping this week and just, you know, I'm not saying go spend all of your you know, money and your savings on this. But if you're out and you're buying something, buy a couple extra things while you're there and then give it to a kid so a kid can actually you know, be blessed a little bit. Okay? Word. Simple. Simple. Easy. Paul, I'm going to put this right here so you can't see it. You're welcome. Why don't you stand me reading God's Word? Somebody's baby must be crying. Beep, beep. <laughs> Genesis, this is Genesis 12, 2, and it says this, which you've probably heard many times throughout Genesis. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that we would understand what it means that you call us to be a blessing. Uh, that we would live and love in such ways that those around us understand who you are because of the blessing that you've given to us and that flows through us out into the rest of the world. Amen. Have a seat. So we are back to Genesis, uh, the last uh, chapters in Genesis mainly focus on this guy. His name is Joseph. Again, I think it's really funny that you get two chapters devoted to creation and 12 plus devoted to Joseph. Seems a little lopsided until you read the rest of the scriptures and it all begins to make sense. Joseph is the fourth generation of this crazy hillbilly family that just cannot seem to get anything right. So God is continuing to rescue them all the time. So the great granddad is Abraham. His granddad is Isaac. His dad is Jacob. His brother is Judah. And then you have Joseph. Now, again, Joseph grows up in a weird family, and if you haven't been here, or maybe you've only caught a couple things, I'm going to give you a quick Joseph quiz, okay? So, see if you've been paying attention. Uh, how many wives did Joseph's father have? Two or four, right? Depending on how you do it. It's like Alex is all, uh, four, two. Two or four, depending on how you look at it. His wives thought four, God said two, but, you know, whatever. Now, how many of these wives did he actually love? One. How many children did he have from that loved wife? Two. Two. Right? Yeah, you'll find out in a couple. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. 
that Joseph is one of these two loved kids. And because his dad loved him, all of his brothers were jealous. And so they faked his murder. They sell him into slavery. So Joseph goes into, into Egypt as a slave, but he is a good employee slash slave. The boss's wife hits on him while he's a slave. He says no because he loves God. So the desperate housewife then got a false rape charge laid against Joseph, and he goes into prison. He spends his late teens and all of his 20s in prison, but he's waiting on God to see what God's going to do. Eventually, Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, gets a dream that no one can interpret because the dream was from God, even though Pharaoh thought he was God, which is also kind of funny. So God's man, Joseph, has to come in and interpret the dream. And this dream talks about seven fat cows and seven skinny cows. And the seven fat cows are about this boom market that's coming. And then the seven skinny cows are seven years of a famine that's coming. Everybody is thoroughly impressed with Joseph and his interpretation skills, mainly because Pharaoh is very impressed with Joseph's interpretation skills. So Pharaoh says, okay, Joseph, what do we do now? What are we going to do? And Joseph says, well, you save for the non-rainy day. See, because it's not the rainy day, because it's, it's going to be a famine, it's not going to rain. So you say, <laughs> slow, slow. So Pharaoh says, great idea, you do it. You put it together, you do this. And, and this is key to how Joseph lives his life. Genesis forty-one thirty-eight. and Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? So what Pharaoh does is he recognizes in the entire country of Egypt, the only one who has the Holy Spirit of God is Joseph. That Pharaoh can't control it, he can't confine it. Pharaoh, who tells everybody he is God, recognizes that maybe he's not God. And he says, God lives in that guy like no one else. So open your Bibles to Genesis 41. That's where we're heading off to. Uh, So Joseph, his life now gets better. He is placed in charge of Egypt. But what is he going to do with this? Will he get bitter? Will he want to screw everybody over? Will he go find Potiphar and his wife? Hey, you threw me into jail. Off with your head because now I'm in charge of you. Is he going to do that? You know, all the people did him wrong. And this is what you get. You know, or will he continue to live as a man in whom the Spirit of God dwelt? And if so, what does that look like? And that's what we're going to look like, look at this morning. So Genesis 41, starting in verse 41, which is where we left off two weeks ago, <clears throat> says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. This is like a credit card. You can go buy anything you want. You have my signet ring. And clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And I know, Pharaoh sounds like an old school rapper, right? Here's a big old ring and a big old robe. Here's a big chain around your neck. It's got like a... You know, peace or BW symbol on it or something we stole off some car somewhere. So I got a big hat with a feather on the backside. And he made him ride in his second chariot. So he gets like an Escalade or another Popemobile or something. And they called out before him, bow the knee. So he also gets a posse, right? See, I'm telling you, it's a crazy story, right? All of a sudden these guys are now, bow the knee. Hey, ho, hey. I know I don't do it very well. I know. So they are out, by all the knee, everybody's supposed to eat them. Mark Driscoll said it, it's funny, because he said it's like every, it's every hip-hop story, jail to bling. That, that's how this kind of works out. It says, thus he sent him over all the land of Egypt, E, true Hollywood story. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. It's like, really, I didn't know that. And without your consent, no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So Joseph rules, if something goes wrong, he gets blamed, but Pharaoh gets all the credit for the good stuff. Sounds just like your boss. I know, it's like, that's, that's my life. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Sephanath Paneah. And see, this is the idea that he comes in and changes his name to an Egyptian name, one that he can pronounce. He's probably like, you know, what's your name? You know, and Joseph's a Hebrew, so he's like, Joseph. You know, what? Joseph. He's like, I'm going to call you Zephanath. 
You know, it's kind of like, it sounds weird to us, but it probably is very easy in Egyptian to say. Now, this name can mean a whole bunch of different things. It could mean the revealer of secrets. It could mean the God speaks and he lives. Uh, Zephaneth could actually just mean he who is called Panea, but Panea has this idea of the living one. So Joseph's name could be called my provision is God the living one. Whatever it is, it seems, Pharaoh seems to understand the God that Joseph serves. And it's starting to make a difference in how Pharaoh even looks at Joseph. And some commentators are really angry and say, well, Joseph shouldn't have taken an Egyptian name. He's compromising his principles. But really, what's Joseph's job? Slave, right? He's like, I don't like that name. So I'll throw you in a ditch. You know, what, what do you want? You're a slave. We're going we're to get rid of you. It's like, you know, it's like you have somebody at work. You can't pronounce their name. You just call him Hank or something. It's like, I don't know what to call you. We'll call you that. And so it's kind of like Daniel in Babylon. If you ever read the book of Daniel, uh, Daniel gets a Babylonian name, but he doesn't compromise who he is. The same thing. Joseph takes the name, but he doesn't compromise who he is or the God that he loves. It says, and he gave him in marriage to Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. He gets a wife and he is blessed. And some people begin to struggle with Joseph at this point because Joseph is now rich. He's like a one percenter and he works for the government. It's like, oh, we don't like that guy. That's not actually a problem if you use money unselfishly and you use your position to help people. And so this is the idea that we're going to talk about. How does Joseph become a blessing and how do we help people? Because there's two kinds of Christians in this world. The first type is those who don't understand how to change the world around them. And they're always complaining. They're always boycotting. They're always protesting. We don't like that. And we divide people into, you know, the good guys and the bad guys. The Christians are the good guys. The bad guys are everybody else. You should not believe that. What you should believe is that we are all evil and only Jesus is good. We are for true equality. You're all terrible and Jesus is good. There is no black hats and white hats. Except Jesus, the white hat, we're all the black hat. Joseph may be gray because he was pretty good, you know, but, you know, white hats and black hats and, and that's it. We're black hats. I mean, Christians who have the wrong mindset always want to fight something. And sometimes you do need to fight. I'm not saying you don't. But Joseph looks around Egypt and he says, there are lots of things wrong out there. How can I change that? How can I love God and these people? And that's what he does. Now, see, today when Christians want to change culture, we wear T-shirts, we put bumper stickers on our cars, we, we walk or have some event. It's like everyone's perverted, so we're going to walk for Jesus. It's like, really? Okay. Oh, they're still perverted. We better walk some more. You know, I'm not against people walking for Jesus. Walk for Jesus if you want to, okay? But non-believers don't look at Christians walking and go, ooh, we better straighten up. They're walking. You know, that's not what they do. <laughs> if you want to change culture, you have to get select individuals in positions like Joseph. See, we live in a place that's downstream. We don't decide what's on the radio. We just listen to it. We don't decide what TV programs get put on. We just watch them. We don't decide what books get published. You know, we, we don't make laws or, or judge laws. Those are all made in a different spot. Education, TVs, and laws. So the key is not declaring war. It's trying to find, you know, ways to get people upstream. You don't know, oh, this stinks. You get somebody in there. Like you have Christian law professors who train, train Christian attorneys who become judges and lawmakers. Then it flows downhill. This is what kind of came out of the 60s. All these people like, Free love. Well, this isn't working. And so all of a sudden, they all get in the universities, and they teach everybody all this crazy stuff, and now we got crazy laws. Because it's just how I feel about it. Okay. <laughs> the second type of Christian is those who look at the world, and they decide, how can I bless those around me? See, Joseph is in this position. He's upstream. He's deciding education and taxation and food. And he does this in a way that blesses everyone around him. How many Christians in Egypt at this time? One. One, just Joseph. He didn't show up with a declaration of war. He starts and comes in to bless. You know, he gets sold into slavery. He wants to bless his master. He gets thrown into jail. How can I bless in jail? 
He shows up and Pharaoh comes along. Well, how can I bless Pharaoh? He gets put in charge of Egypt. How can I bless them around me? If he had shown up for war, he would never affect change. But he kept saying, how can I bless those around me? And he saves millions of people's lives. Joseph didn't serve for the money. I mean, he, he might have some, he might not. You know, he may still just be considered a slave at this point working for Pharaoh. And this is the whole idea. When Jesus comes, Jesus says, I'm a servant, and you need to live as a servant as well. And Joseph is a great example of what a Christian looks like in a lost pagan culture. And do you think God's reputation is helped or hurt by Joseph by how he lives in Egypt? It's helped. Helped. (laughs) Holy cow, people. Okay. Uh, He is the only one, only Christian that any of these people can watch. And today, if you call yourself a Christian and people know that, you know what? God's reputation becomes tied to you because you're claiming his name. Verse 46. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. So he goes out and he meets the people he's serving. This might have been the first time anybody in power did this for anybody around them. And these people are like, wow, someone actually cares about us. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly. And he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put, every, he put in every city the food from the fields around it. And Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea until he ceased to measure it for it could not be measured. And this is like great. This is like when you're making so much money. There's so many zeros in your checking account that you're like carry the one, zero, nine. Ah, I don't have to worry about it. I got a million zeros in there. This is great. This is what happened. Every, it's like the housing market a few years ago. It's just going great. Then it crashes. Verse 50, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. What he does is he names them Hebrew names. He doesn't forget where he come from or who his God is. And he names them forgetful and fruitful, which isn't so weird. You know, I mean, you have a lot of pressure and stress. Is your dad alive? What's going on with your family? The famine's coming. I got to run a country. You know, sometimes you need to forget. And so Joseph's kids helped him to forget all the stress and the trouble. They're a great diversion. And if you have little kids, you know kids. Kids are a great diversion. Sometimes they're like scream all the time. like, ah. But sometimes they're a really great diversion because they see the world just so differently. I mean, you can be totally stressed out and upset. You're like, I don't know what to do. Like, hey, let's get donuts and go swimming. And you're like, no, no, wait, wait, wait. Uh, I got a lot of work to do. And their counter argument to you is they have ones with sprinkles. And you're like, okay, let's go. Right. And, 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 and that's the idea. Kids just see the whole world differently. And the other one's name is fruitful. He has kids of his own. He sees God's blessing upon his life. Verse 53. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And why was there bread in Egypt? Because Joseph trusted God and Pharaoh trusted Joseph. One Christian could actually make a difference. When all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread pharaoh said to the egyptians go to joseph what he says to you do so pharaoh tells everybody i'm god they go to him help god tell us what to do and he forwards the call to joseph if your god forwards the call not a good god okay so when the famine had spread over all the land joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the egyptians for the famine was severe in the land of egypt moreover all the earth came to egypt to joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth and this is the idea of genesis 12 too that god's people are to be a blessing to the entire earth joseph is now that blessing now the verse that i started with that god originally comes to abraham and makes his promise about i want to read it to you and i want you to, i'm going to change something and see if you figure out what i changed okay genesis 12 too and i will make 
make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, and you can keep all the blessings for yourself. I'll say here it's wrong. Okay, good. Just, just checking. You know. God says that you will be a blessing. I will bless you. You will be a blessing. I will make your name great. And all the peoples of the earth can be blessed through you. This is the idea that when God brings blessings to our lives, it's not about us. God brings into our lives. It's supposed to flow through us into other people. They come to us so it can go to others around us, other people's lives. And so what I want to talk about are the characteristics that mark or distinguish a life of a person that becomes a conduit for God's blessing to flow into other people's lives like Joseph. And so first I'll tell you what it is not. First off, it is not somebody who is perfect. It is not somebody who is... Joseph was not perfect you don't have to be a monk or a mystic or a hermit and go live on a hill somewhere whatever your track record is if you're willing to surrender to jesus he can use you nowhere in the bible does god say to somebody you went so far up the rails i don't have any grace for you it doesn't have you look at the people god actually uses you got abraham he's a liar you got jacob was a deceiver moses is a fugitive gideon's a coward samson is like a walking impulse control disorder mike Describe your life, I don't know. Eli was a bad father. David's an adulterer. Elijah was suicidal. The disciples are all people of little faith. James and John, they're just status seekers. Peter denies Jesus three times and chops off somebody's ear. The apostle Paul says when he felt the most, felt the most inadequate that God's words came to him. Second Corinthians 12.9, Jesus says, My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. It is about God's grace and not about all the things that we think that we are. The second thing is it is not about slogans. It is not about slogans. It, you know, Jesus warned people about cleaning the outside of the cup but leaving the inside just dirty and nasty. We're supposed to be a completed person that's transparent inside and out. Now, there's a story that came out a little bit ago, supposedly true. You might have heard it. I don't know. Just go with me if, if you have. There's this guy who's being tailgated by this woman, and he comes up you know, to a, to a stoplight. There's a crosswalk that turns yellow, so he slams on his brakes. You know, he, he does the right thing. Me, I would have ran through it. But you know, he stops and, and all this. Well, the, the lady behind him, she just starts freaking out, flipping him off and cussing. She drops her cell phone and her makeup. She's like, ah! You know, as she's in mid-rant, she looks up and tap, tap, tap on her window, and there's a very stern-looking police officer you know, staring at her. He orders her out of the car. She, he handcuffs her, throws her in the back of her car. his car, takes her down, you know, fingerprints her, photographs her, places her in a holding cell. A few hours later, he comes up and he pulls her back out of the cell and he apologizes. He said, you know, I, I'm, really, I'm really sorry about this. I pulled up behind you while you're in your car and you're blowing your horn and making all these gestures to the person in front of you. You're cussing a blue streak, you know, but then I noticed the what would Jesus do, you know, window sticker and the choose life license plate and the follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker and the chrome plated Christian fish. And I just naturally assumed you stole the car. Now, don't you think the people around us get really tired of Christians who are just known for their Christian bumper stickers and their Christian slogans and their Christian T-shirts while they listen to, you know, Christian music on Christian radio stations while, you know, going to buy their Christian merchandise at their Christian stores and they live this whole little Christian subculture and yet none of them actually live like Jesus called them to live? I think people just get tired of that. Of course they do. So you look at Jesus, what Jesus said is what he actually did. And whatever you think about Jesus, whatever you believe about all the authority of Scripture, it's a simple historical fact that no life has ever changed the world like the life of Jesus. And he wants you and I to live with that same type of impact. So what does it look like to be a person who is a blessing? How do you do that? I'm going to give you four things. Number one, it's a willingness when you look around the world to let your heart be broken by what you see. Your heart needs to be broken when you look at the world. Now, what do you think Joseph thought when he saw the land of Egypt? 
Probably broke his heart. He was like, oh, I hate those people. What's wrong with those people? He probably saw as a broken place, worshiping a false god, Pharaoh, and he had compassion. A striking thing about Jesus over and over and over in the scriptures is the word that's used to describe him is compassion. The ESV will use the word pity. It means the same thing. One time a guy with leprosy approaches Jesus and asks to be healed. In Mark 1.41, and the NIV says, it w- says, with compassion. The ESV says, with pity. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing. He said, be clean. A crowd of people is bringing all kinds of their, their relatives to Jesus, people who are Ill, Ill. And in Matthew 14, 14, it says he had compassion or pity on them and healed their sick. In Matthew 9, 36, it says when he saw the crowds, he had compassion or pity for them. And this is not just because they're physical suffering, but because they're spiritual suffering, because they're harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus consistently and deliberately put himself in places where he could help human suffering. He identifies with it so fully that he even says, when you see people suffering, whatever you do, even for someone who you don't think is important at all, it's like you're doing it for me. Which means, you know, when you see human suffering and you do nothing at all, it's like you're doing nothing for him. I believe that one of the ways God speaks to us and helps us to understand how to be a blessing is things around us break our hearts. Now, almost everybody's heard of uh, World Vision, right? World Vision? Okay. You know how World Vision gets started? 60 years ago, this guy named Bob Pierce, the guy that started it, he's in China. Little girl hears the message of the gospel. She believes in Jesus. She goes home and tells her parents, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. They kick her out of the house because, you know what, you cannot be a Christian and live in this house. She goes back to the missionary that she knew there, and she says, you know, can, can I live here? She has no other place to go. The missionary goes to Bob Pierce and said, if I could have $5, remember, 60 years ago, if I could have $5, this little girl could live in my house for the next year. And Bob Pierce, you know, wrote on the flyleaf of his Bible, let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. That's what he writes. And that's how World Vision actually got started. One broken heart. The second thing is sacrificial generosity. Sacrificial generosity. We need to learn to be a people who have, understand that we're blessed, so we bless those around us. I mean, in, in Ephesians, Paul reminds the Ephesians in Acts 20 where Jesus said, is more blessed to give than to receive. Jesus is the most generous person who ever lived because our God is infinitely generous. And so when you give, maybe to Element or wherever you give, do you ask yourself if your giving feels like something you have to do? And if you don't do it, you're going to get in a whole lot of trouble. Do you do it because you feel compelled to? You know, oh, I have to do it. There's this old panel cartoon. Uh, you know what a panel cartoon is? Like, okay, good. All right. And so there's like Reverend Schmidt, and he's sitting at his desk, right? And the phone rings, and a little arrow goes to the phone, and it says, and it says, uh, hello, is this Reverend Schmidt? And he says, it is. And the next panel says, this is the IRS, you know, pointing out the phone. You know, and he's, you know, can you help us? And he says, you know, I, I can. And the next panel, a little arrow, you know, do you know David Anderson? He says, I do. Next panel, is he a member of your congregation? He says, he is. Next panel says, did he donate $10,000 to your church last year? And he says, he will. <laughs> in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, it says, each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why does God love a cheerful giver? Because that is at the heart of God. God himself is a cheerful giver. And so does giving bring joy? It should. It really should. And, and if you don't want to give, you just stop giving. There's no gun to anybody's head. But you've got to ask an honest question that deserves an honest answer. Does hoarding everything you can, does the acquisition of more and more and keeping all that you can give you a more joyful heart? Because the answer to that is no, it doesn't. I mean, not just Jesus, but all the scriptures. And most of the joy-filled people I know today would say that stuff and hoarding is a dead end. People who are a blessing are always looking for ways to see those with less and to help them out. So giving becomes something their heart is naturally engaged in. The third thing to be a blessing is people who want to be a blessing, they live with a holy discontent. 
My friend Luke and I talk about this all the time because he's always walking around discontented. And I told him not just to be discontented, but he needs to have a holy discontent. What I'd like you to do is turn to the person next to you and tell them the worst sin you ever committed. I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> I just maybe you do it. And you're like, well, last night, I, you know. <laughs> And then your wife slaps you. No, I don't know. Okay. Because no. I'm going to tell you what I think my worst sin is, and it's this thing of, of selfishness. I, I have a propensity to put me in the center of my life all the time. And when I do that, my life becomes all about the suit of my own dreams. I mean, our culture has language for this. It says, follow your dreams. Oh, you're living the dream, or I'm living my dream. And when that happens, our entire lives become about, well, I've got to get into the dream school so one day I can have a dream job and buy my dream car that will help me attract my dream spouse and I can buy my dream house and we can have some dream kids that we can go on our dream vacation and get away from those dream kids. <laughs> you know, and then I'm going to get a dream 401K to have my dream 401K retirement you know, and then I will die and I'll have my dream funeral and they'll be laid out in my dream casket and be buried in my dream plot of dirt because that's where our lives go. We're all going to be buried. It ends up in death. And if you live this way where you think, oh, you know, God's just part of my life, then it seems like God's job is to fulfill your own dreams. And if you don't get all of your dream things, your dream school, your dream car, your dream spouse, you know, your dream house, well, then it's God's fault. And what you do is you get mad at God because God hasn't fulfilled your dreams. And that is called idolatry. It's called idolatry. It gets all messed up. But the invitation of the scriptures is you don't stop dreaming. You don't stop dreaming. The invitation is to quit making God the genie who tries to give you your dreams and live a much bigger dream. You live the dream that God has for the entire world. You know, throughout history, there are these powerless and impoverished men called prophets. And they change the entire world with their words. And it keeps coming back to this idea that comes up throughout the book of Genesis. And this word is the word shalom they kept using. Now, shalom has lost a whole lot of its bite and a whole lot of its audacity and edge. We turn it into a greeting, like, oh, shalom, oh, shalom, not understanding all that it is. I mean, we translate today simply just as peace. But shalom has this whole idea that things are just the way God wants them to be, physically, spiritually, relationally. The prophet said there is a way that things were designed because there is a designer. And so they use pictures and images and metaphors and symbols and stories to describe what this is supposed to look like. They, they talked about people who would take swords and they would beat them into plowshares, meaning you would take technology. Instead of using it for violence or injustice, it was used for generosity. It talks about the hearts of the fathers being turned toward their children and the heart of the children turned back towards their fathers. In Isaiah 65, 21 and 22, they said, In Shalom, that people will build houses and dwell in them. They will plant vineyards and eat their fruit. No longer will they build houses and others live in them or plant and others eat. They will not labor in vain, nor will they bear children doomed to misfortune, for they will be a people blessed by God. See, the prophets saw this whole idea of Shalom and what it was supposed to look like. And and their hearts burned and broke when they saw what the world should be and the world that was. It caused great pain. I think no one lived with this pain more than Jesus because Jesus saw it. Today, we still do this. We live in the beauty of what we're called to in Shalom and the pain of how things really are. I mean, just as an example, uh, sex trafficking today is so bad that UNICEF says every two minutes a child is being prepared for sexual exploitation. Or their car seats dropping on the floor. Uh, A billion people uh, today will go to bed hungry. Uh, Every six seconds, a child will die of malnutrition. There will be a million abortions performed this year in the United States of America. And we should look around and feel a burning, holy discontent. That that is not the way things should be. You have to understand the whole idea of this holy discontent is not just about all the sins that are going on out there. 
It's about what we have done ourselves in here when we have made God the genie in our own little bottle. When we try to say, oh, God, give me this. I want this. We get, sometimes we get so riled up about the sin out there that we can totally neglect the sin that's going on in here. See, being a blessing starts when we repent of who we are and live who God calls us to be. Because Jesus did not just die for the sins out there. He died for the ones in here. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, this is the best day to do it. So he cleans out the ones that are in there. And I don't know if you see Joseph's attitude. He's more willing to be a blessing than be angry. He had, a, he had a willingness for his heart to be broken when he looked at the entire country of Egypt. He had a sacrificial generosity where he gave up his own hurt and his own anger and sought the welfare of others. You see his holy discontent because he names his children Hebrew names. Understand that there is one God and only God can fix it even when he's using Joseph in the midst of it. And so there's a last one, my number four, and I think it's shown in Joseph being a blessing. When Pharaoh comes to Joseph and he says, interpret my dream, and in Genesis 41, 16, Joseph says, I can't, it's not in me. He says, but I know God and I will talk to God for you. But I am not a prophet, an oracle, a seer. I'm not all these things. I'm just a guy who loves God. Number four, someone who is a blessing lives with a sense of active dependence. Active dependence. We are to be dependent upon Jesus. Not in a passive way, oh, life's just happening, whatever, but we're active in our lives. But it's not in an independent way where we're doing our, our own thing. It is active dependence on Jesus. Now, let me give you one more verse like I did earlier. See if you can spot the inaccuracy in this verse. This is something John says in, or Jesus says in John 15, 5. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him might bear much fruit. Give me the word. Might, might. He says, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. See, there are dozens of passages about this whole idea of the coming of Shalom, the way things are supposed to be, and they share one trait. None of the prophets ever said, if. Wouldn't it be wonderful if, or maybe someday, or it might could be here, or it will come, you know, what if it might come over there? They never do that. All the prophets are consistent, and they say, in that day, in that day, it will come to pass. What you have to understand is that in Jesus Christ, it has come to pass in a spiritual sense for believers. We have spiritual shalom. God has done this work in our hearts already. And what now we are supposed to do is to live that blessing and that shalom out to the rest of the world. We actually give to live like Joseph to the rest of the world. I mean, speaking not just of salvation that's been given to us, but truly living as a blessing to others as God has called us to be. It's one of the reasons we do things like like the go bags, you know, because it's being a blessing to the community that's around us. And this is why sometimes we'll look at the world and we're not supposed to get overwhelmed with all of the problems. I mean, Joseph had an entire country. We don't give up because we think it's too big. We don't give in a discouragement because of the scale of the problem. That's simply not an option because you must understand it's not our project. It's God's. And we simply go and do the things that God tells us to go and do. It's like, well, I can't step into that. That's just too big for me. Right, it's too big for you, but it's not too big for God. And so you step into the places he calls you to go to learn to be a blessing. We are not the ones that make it happen. We are simply the conduit. We are the hands and the feet. And so we live lives and pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how about you use me in the midst of it? Because I want to be a servant to you. It is active dependence. Because on our own, we can do nothing. But with Jesus, we can do great things. This whole idea of sacrificial generosity comes from our broken hearts. Active dependence comes from this holy discontent. Understanding we cannot do anything without him. And so we trust him and live lives that are fully engaged in what he calls us to be engaged in because he has first loved us and forgiven us and sought us and cleansed us out.
And so we live lives that properly bless those around us because he has first blessed us. This is, again, the idea of communion and why we come to it every single week. Communion is where you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grapes that remind of his blood that was shed for you and I so that we can actually be this people who live lives of active dependence because that's where it starts, his salvation for us. He rises from the dead like we talked about last week to bestow on us these blessings and this power and we go and we live those. And you may think in your life right now, I don't have a whole lot of blessings. Yeah, you do. One, you're alive. Two, Jesus has saved you. You can offer joy and hope to those around you because God is simply that good to save you even though you are a terrible black-hatted knucklehead. And he saves you because he is simply good. The band's going to come up. And do a couple songs, and as they do, we invite you to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back, uh, and we invite you, if you, maybe you're in a place and you're like, man, I've never felt that holy discontent, and I'd really like to, or maybe you're just discontented about all the things in your life, and you want to get your focus off yourself and on to him. Well, you know what? They can do that. Really? Where's Jason, really? Where's my big buff bass player? <laughs> when he comes in, give him a sneak eye, here, everybody. I'm just kidding. Be a blessing. I don't know where he is. This is normally a first service problem. You ever want to see weird things like this happen? It's first service. Anyway, uh, we, there's offering box and saddle on the back. We give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship, so we offer you that opportunity every single week. Uh, and there are, there's some food and stuff in the back. And we... <laughs> I think this needs to be the service on the video. <laughs> uh, and, and there's some food and stuff in the back. And we invite you to meet somebody else if you haven't met anybody else here. Maybe you're new. Uh, if you maybe find somebody you know or like or even don't like and invite them to go out to lunch with you today and spend some time going through the questions or something and, and ask, you know, what things break your heart? You know, how can God use you to be a blessing? Because, you know, no matter where you are, God can use you where you are at. It doesn't have to be some big thing where you start something called world vision. Maybe it's just something where you have a coworker next to you, you know, and, and they're totally distraught. And then that means you get over yourself enough to reach out and to help them and talk to them and do something, to learn to start to be a blessing. I mean, maybe for you it's, it's the step of going out and buying a tube of toothpaste for, for a kid who needs a go bag or something like that. You know, whatever it is, you start where you are and allow God to move you into those places because we are meant to be a blessing, a conduit for all that God has already done in our hearts. And we live that out. And we, as a people, bring the idea of heaven to earth and shalom to things around us and how we live. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who understand what it means to be people that blessings flow through. That for even us in the worst of our times, we could still look at our lives and understand that we have been blessed. And that blessing isn't always defined as our world around us wants to define it, or even like we want to define it. It is defined like you define it. So today I ask that you would help us to understand the great blessings that you have given to us. And that we would begin to live lives that bless those around us. Not for the sake of of ourselves, but for the sake of lifting you up. That glory and honor go where it needs to go because the more we focus on ourselves, the more we stop living as a blessing. Father, use us 
We ask that you would break our hearts with the thing that, things that break yours. We ask that we would live with the sacrificial generosity, that we would live in a place with a holy discontent and an active dependence upon you and the person of Christ so that we could truly live and be your children because you are that good. You are that good. And we in turn would understand that our goodness comes from your hand. I understand that you know, it starts this wonderful cross that you have so graciously died upon and shed your blood to redeem and save your people. And it then echoes throughout all of eternity because of what you have done there and yet you continue to do because you actually rose from the dead and you live a life that you called us to. So we ask you would teach us this morning to live lives of blessing. We ask this in your son's name. Amen.